0: the savviest finance people I worked with, whether they were GMs or just in the finance department as accounts receivable people, or whether they were CFOs, right? They all understood that there were sort of two games, there were two timelines they were on. One was the more immediate one and, and sort of making sure that what came in was what was going out. But the other piece of it was figuring out how to fund the next opportunity, figuring out how to get to the next timeline of your business. Because I think one of the things we've experienced now is that businesses, we understand they don't last forever, that people's behaviors change too much, right? The great examples of Blockbuster and Kodak, not understanding that they were about delivering entertainment and keeping memories, but rather thinking they were about, you know, videotapes and CDs and late fees or chemicals and images printed on paper, right? And when the consumer changed, they went away. How do you, as a finance person, Understand how you might make that transition at some point in the future where your current line of business shrinks to the point where a new line of business has to take it over? Have you done the right planning to allow that to happen?
1: Hey, this is Danny, and welcome to the Spend Culture Stories podcast. You know, we're not just another boring finance or procurement podcast, we explore the sometimes challenging stories and learnings when people spend and organizations meet, and how to drive sustainable growth while still balancing control and agility. We have vulnerable, honest and raw conversations with only the most forward thinking CFOs, finance executives and procurement leaders who are challenging the status quo, that the way we've done it is just not enough. This is Spend Culture Stories. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Spend Culture Stories. This is Danny, and today we have a really special guest for you. And personally, I'm really excited because, you know, I'm used to work in public relations. And um, ink is probably something that everyone has read in their lives. You know, either the online version, or maybe you've seen some companies being featured in Inc., or maybe you want to be featured in Inc. And today we actually have Scott Omanlunik, and he's actually the editor-in-chief at Inc., so I'm super excited to have you, Scott. And um, Scott recently joined Inc. as, you know, the editor-in-chief, where his responsibilities include developing new lines of businesses to serve the entrepreneurial community. And also, he oversees the events and content that make up the Inc. E- ecosystem. Scott was trained as a journalist, and he's motivated by business and excited by technology. His passion is very disruptive, um, and he's all about the do 1st approach that generates revenue by connecting consumers with content and services. Scott, I'm super thrilled to have you join us today. Thank you for joining us on the show.
0: Thanks for having me here, Danny. I really appreciate it.
1: Of course. And um let's get a quick background to you, Scott, cuz I know I always butcher introductions and I think it's less exciting for me to, you know, talk about you when you're already here.
0: Uh sure. I I am new to Inc. I've only been at the brand for uh, well since January. So I feel like I've had a lifetime of two different careers there, right? There was the uh, six or eight weeks before the pandemic, and then everything after. But long term, I I am a mm-hmm. media person, and I've had most of my career in in media. Um, but always quite entrepreneurial, and always interested in new technology. So whether that was you know websites or video on websites or e-commerce on websites or using QR codes or all different kinds of stuff, I'd always paid attention to that and did well enough by innovating that unlike a lot of media, the brand I ran, which is called uh, This Old House Ventures, which is a, um, a television show that's been on the air for 40 years now and a magazine and some websites, we sold it to private equity. And I thought at that point, I was ready to go off and do something else. And I actually given. in my experience as someone who uh, had lived through the disruption of media, and media was one of those businesses that was first disrupted by technology, right? That I I had a lot to offer other businesses and and sort of opened a consultancy and and started teaching at university as well. And then about four years into that, had the CEO of the company that owns Inc. contact me and say, you know, you could really put together your prior career with the one you're in now and, and do something special. And as you pointed out, so many entrepreneurs are are passionate about ink, and I think you know having a passionate audience is such an important thing for brands. That that it was something I couldn't turn down. So I was excited to return to journalism with an entrepreneurial bent, and 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 uh, then the pandemic hit.
1: Yes, that's definitely like a really exciting and challenging time that you came in as well. I think it's such an amazing background that you have. Um, that you have that personal entrepreneur experience so that you can bring that to ink as well and really connect with the readers and the subscribers.
0: Yeah, in fact, I um I was a co-founder in a, a wellness startup. I um, it, it wrote a patent for remote sensing and changing content engines uh, through remote, you know, biotelemetrics and things like that. And it was an utter disaster as the business. So I, I feel like I have have lived a couple of different careers, but one in particular that that's, you know, important to our audience, and, and that is uh, launching businesses and having that understanding that uh, you may be successful or you may not.
1: Yeah, and that's super important. And I love how you're so vulnerable about this, because I feel like there are a lot of stories on startup successes, but the failure, sometimes we don't actually get to see that side. You know, we see the successes when they've become successes, but there's so many companies out there that are started every year and, you know, sometimes they don't make it. And that's the reality of the situation, especially with the pandemic.
0: Yeah. And not just sometimes. Right. Um, Most research you see will tell you that 90 percent of companies don't last uh, for five years. And and that's probably pretty accurate. And I think the most important thing about that is it's not, uh, you know, not whether or not you're going to fail because you likely are going to fail at least once. It's what you take away Mm -hmm. from that, what you learn from that experience and how uh, you'll apply what you know differently the next time you try. Mm,
1: absolutely. The learnings are so important. So I guess, like Scott, um, one of my questions for you is, um, based on the companies that you've talked to and you've seen, what are some of the biggest challenges um, during the pandemic in 2020 that growing businesses had to adapt to?
0: You know, I don't think they're so different than, you, than anyone else you would talk to would say, right? Uncertainty. Uncertainty is always a problem for businesses, and something I'd like to come back to because uncertainty is probably going to end up being more and more of a certainty for businesses, and so something we're going to have to get used to, right? But mm-hmm. but you know, businesses uh, we're faced with. You know, supply chain issues, changing customer habits, and not just not showing up suddenly, but finding other ways of buying products that they had before. But there was the nitty gritty back office stuff as well, right? How without those consumers here, because they're all staying at home, they're in a lockdown, whatever it might be, how are you going to make payroll this month? How are you going to make rent this month? Because a lot of smaller businesses, right, they they don't have the cash reserves that larger ones do. They live uh, like a lot of people do, much closer to paycheck to paycheck. I think so much of every part of a business was challenged in in the last nine months or so, but probably nothing more than... And and I think the thing we were least prepared to react to being the human element, right? The the employee, the team member, how suddenly it seemed Mm -hmm. as if you were in leadership, a CSW degree, right, being a certified social worker might have been more useful than having an MBA, right, where you spent more time making sure your employees were both physically and mentally healthy and Mm -hmm. in the game and able to balance life work in whatever fashion is possible. All of that became such an issue for folks.
1: Yeah, most definitely. I know we did a segment on tech CFOs and, you know, Um, these people are normally, they're all about the numbers. They're all about analytics. And it was such a huge shift, you know, during the pandemic and after the pandemic, where we asked them, what's the biggest challenge? And they're like, really keeping the team together and making sure that people are still motivated to show up to work, whether it is online or some people have the hybrid work model. It's just different when you don't have your colleagues with you. And a lot of them, like they're, they're your friends as well, your support network. So I can definitely see that.
0: Yeah, and and I have to say that, you know, there are businesses where remote work works better than others, right? Some cases, and I think uh, my business, a creative business, if you're a writer, you can go off by yourself and be in a closet and that's okay, right? But there are other aspects of producing media that really is a collaborative in the room together process and losing that is hard. For me personally, it, it was quite hard because I had just walked into a new place I did not even know all the names of my team members, and suddenly we were working from home. I was charged with moving the brand in a new direction and adding energy, and I was trying to do that with people who'd been there for years and doing it over a Zoom call. That's all really hard. I'm not saying I had it any worse than anyone else, but when you're faced with those challenges and you've not had the experience of dealing with them before, they they become real issues and sort of existential issues.
1: Yeah, most definitely. I can't imagine being onboarded you know, during the remote times and then suddenly when the pandemic hit, <laughs> it's like, oh, well, now you're going to have to deal with such a big um, I guess, change and a shift within the organization when you've never met anybody. That's such a big challenge.
0: You know, I'm <laughs> I'm actually afraid that when we go back to the office, they're going to people come up to me and say hello. And because of their camera lens and only seeing them, you know, in in in, in um, face front view, I'm not going to recognize them in the flesh. <laughs> it's going to be strange.
1: Yeah, that would actually be a pretty interesting issue to have, you know, meeting your colleagues in person and realizing, oh, is that actually you or not?
0: I thought you were much taller than you.
1: Oh, my gosh. There's some people that haven't met me yet in person. They don't know I'm actually like five feet one. (laughs) (laughs) It's a secret. But yes, that's actually a really interesting insight. And, you know, like I know you've had also a very impressive career as a creative strategist and mentor for the startup world. And um, in this time, I feel like, you know, you've mentioned the cash flow issues and you've mentioned being able to adapt within this economy. And I think like in order for startups to really survive through this, you got to have like a very successful, long lasting brand and also a really good team. And I know um, you have very great branding experience within your experience. So um, in your opinion, how can a company build a successful, long lasting brand? What are the steps to that?
0: you know that's a it's a really interesting question and one that i i'm not sure is going to the answers that i'll offer now will be as relevant after the pandemic as as before but i think in general and and i would say this you know multiple times during this conversation is that crises or crises tend to accelerate changes that are happening anyway right so a little bit of this is in the culture already mm-hmm. and i think obviously as a, as a as a brand you need to provide something that's important to people and 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 often that thing is not actually what you're selling but how you're selling it right so what your brand purpose really is not just your product and that's important because we we see businesses accelerating through things like the Fortune 500 faster, right? Brands don't last like they used to. They come and they go. But regardless, I think there are some things we can do. Mm -hmm. And one of those is to be, as the owner of a brand or the the head of a brand, be transparent about who you are. People want to know who they're interacting with now, right? I think businesses need to have some form of social responsibility. That's different in my mind from what brand purpose is. Brand purpose is what you are as a business, and social responsibility are the causes that you are, think are important. And I think people increasingly, regardless of their political affiliation, find social responsibility of some fashion uh, important. You know, you want to have uh, communication with your consumer that's not transactional. Always, right? So it can't always be, especially because we're digitally communicating now more than ever. It's it's not just don't just contact me when you want my money, right? Like let let me know you care about me when you don't. And there are some brands mm-hmm. that get this and do it very well, others that do it less well. But but it's terrific to have and establish a relationship with a consumer that goes beyond just the transaction, just when you're going to ask them for money. And the other thing is just, you know, there are fundamentals certainly about, and particularly with online commerce, about, you know, making sure that you uh, have the right Pay collection software in place, right? Right. I'm still sh- sh- shocked by how many uh, websites make me input credit cards. Don't have Apple Pay. Don't have PayPal. Don't have other functionality like that. But 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 most importantly, be likable to the consumer, right? Because because the the question I think it was Seth Godin, the pretty famous marketer, who once said like you know the the indicator of whether or not you really matter is if if you didn't show up tomorrow? If you were gone tomorrow, we all woke up and you weren't here. Would you be missed? And I think that's a really important question, right? And we're going to miss the people or the brands we like, and we're going to like the brands that Mm -hmm. treated us more than just a revenue source better.
1: Absolutely. That's such a great quote from Seth. I love his books as well. I think he's such a great leader in this space. But yeah, I think um, that really is the difference between um, what makes a great brand and what doesn't. That's a really good perspective to think about it. And I think we see a lot of these stories too um, within this pandemic where you see that, you know, Customer might be struggling, they might be struggling to pay their bills, and then one brand responds in such an empathetic way, and that really builds that trust, like you mentioned, that really builds that relationship between the consumer and the brand.
0: That's right. I mean, you know, the the fact is uh, brand loyalty is a mouse click away, right? Or or a mouse click and it's gone, I should say. And so by doing things that sort of cement that loyalty, that make that one mouse click to someone else's product, someone else's SAS product, to whatever it is that much easier, you want to eliminate that, right? So so being empathetic to the consumer, understanding their issues and their concerns, not just with respect to the product, but with everything that's going on with them, just as we talked about managers need to do with the people who work from the front for them now, will build longer lasting relationships and that means you'll have a longer lasting brand.
1: Yeah, definitely. Really great insights there Scott. So a lot of the listeners on the show they're also in the finance function in the organization. So how do you think someone who is an accountant or a CFO in a company also help build the brand? Because I feel like mm, prior to the pandemic they might be a little bit more disconnected from that aspect of an organization, but now mm-hmm. everything is interconnected, right? Everything is about being customer-centric and yeah. people-centric. So how can people in finance also be able to, I guess, help the brand evolve?
0: Yeah, and I and I would say, you know, it, it depends on how long you want your brand to be around, right? And if you want it to be around longer, we have to take the perspective that, You know, week to week or quarter to quarter is not as important as it used to be. And even if it is to you, you have to find ways to lessen its impact. And so, what I mean by that is, I think the savviest finance people I worked with, whether they were GMs or just in the finance department as accounts receivable people, or whether they were CFOs, right? They all understood that there were sort of two games, there were two timelines they were on. One was the more immediate one and, and sort of making sure that what came in was what was going out. But the other piece of it was figuring out how to fund the next opportunity, figuring out how to get to the next timeline of your business. Because I think one of the things we've experienced now is that businesses, we understand they don't last forever, that people's behaviors change too much, right? The great examples of Blockbuster and Kodak, not understanding that they were about delivering entertainment and keeping memories, but rather thinking they were about, you know, videotapes and CDs and late fees or chemicals and images printed on paper, right? And when the consumer changed, they went away. How do you, as a finance person, understand how you might make that transition at some point in the future where your current line of business shrinks to the point where a new line of business has to take it over? Have you done the right planning to allow that to happen? There are S-curves of success, right? You start out, you go up, and you come down the backside and then you disappear. Magnus Penker, uh, the business consultant, has talked about this. And how do you manage to extend the S-curve you're on as long as possible but plan simultaneously to jump from the one timeline to the other, from the one S-curve to the other. Successful businesses will be able to do that, and they'll do that by understanding that uh, what their company is is not what their business is. And what I mean by that is this. I worked at what was at one time the world's largest publisher, Time Inc. And uh, oddly, I ran the only TV brand there. So I had a slightly different perspective. Whenever I would walk into my CEO with a new idea that was not about ink on paper, that was not about a print magazine, he would say, we don't know anything about TV. We're a magazine company. He didn't understand that he wasn't a magazine company he was currently in the magazine business, but his company was about information and entertainment right so whether it was time and fortune and people and this old house or or mm-hmm. in style it was it was really about delivering information and entertainment and the consumer ultimately didn't care where that came from, and in fact, at one point, preferred to get it elsewhere. And so this company that once was worth as much as uh, Uber, for example, at, at its market cap height, was suddenly sold off for a small percentage of that, right? Because it didn't understand, much like Blockbuster, much like Kodak, that the the company and the business are two different things. So how can you as a company understand your DNA and then Slip from one business or step from one timeline, one S curve to another in a planned, intelligent way.
1: Mm, such great insights there! Like I think that's such an important thought to have as a business owner or even as an employee of the company. You know, what is it that we stand for versus what is it that I guess the space that we're in, like what we're selling? That's such an important distinction
0: yeah and it and it and it's a profound one and it, and it's actually kind of exciting because when you realize that you realize that you know the relationship you have with the consumer is about providing them something that's really important to them at this moment and at the next moment that might change but because you have that relationship and an understanding that the vehicle might change. We might go from, you know, print to iPad to phone or what have you. We might stream instead of uh, look at static pictures. Whatever it is, you know, like that's going to change. But you'll be prepared to make that change as well. And what you're doing then is you're 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 not only allowing for the survival of your company but also, you know, the paychecks of everyone who works with you. You're extending their employability by thinking this way. And and people tend, right, not to to sort of just be the same creature they've always been. They like change too. Giving your teams these new challenges is a terrific opportunity. Let them think about where you're moving next.
1: Absolutely. Having like a North Star and sometimes like the inputs change a little bit. And I think, you know, like what we're saying before with every crisis, there's also opportunities for innovation and opportunity.
0: Terrific amounts, right? So, you know, for some businesses, that's going to be migrating to cloud. It's going to be reducing, uh, say, a physical footprint. It's going to be flexibility in the workplace. It's going to be allowing their teams to have flexible hours, even. We have a company that we follow as part of the Inc. 5000 called Globalization Partners, which used to help set up. Uh, help companies set up foreign workers right so people who needed visas and all of, all of that stuff they they helped them. Now, uh, that now and that was a valuable skill now that everyone was is working remotely suddenly globalization partners realizes we don't just have to help you get someone from southeast asia to north america and and get you set up with the appropriate paperwork, you can stay in Southeast Asia and still work for this company. And so that's their pivot during this crisis, and they've seen enormous growth because of that, a whole new market because of that, right? And that is something that entrepreneurs, I think, are really, really terrific at is is having uh, the savviness and the scrappiness and the ability to see the pivot and see where the opportunity is. So I think entrepreneurs actually have a lot of skills to succeed in in this uh, pandemic or whatever comes after it.
1: Yeah, really great insights there, Scott. And just wondering, since you know, I'm sure you've talked to a lot of small business owners and entrepreneurs during this time. Are there any exciting startups that have popped up in the space that you've talked to? Um, whether they're you know innovating in the space or taking the crisis as an opportunity.
0: You know, I think we've seen a lot of people. Um do remarkable things in in the last 10 months um, and inspiring things. We've seen uh, companies that manufactured liquor turn to manufacture hand sanitizer. We've seen small shops that did 3D printing, suddenly making you know personal protective equipment. And they've done it without regard for their own profits necessarily, at least immediately. They've risen to a crisis. We've seen other brands that were quite successful. Part of the Inc. 5000, one that comes to mind is the Constellation Agency, which sold a kind of advertising for, for uh, automotive dealers. Uh, when people stopped buying cars, it Seemed like it would be a problem for them, right? Like, what are we going to do? Um, they realized that, well, uh, people have stopped buying cars, but but our digital advertising can be used for all the other things that our people are buying now online, and and, and so let's let's pivot there. We'll not we'll not leave the automobile, but we now have this new market. So we see companies like that doing remarkable things, and such was to me. The change in companies with respect to their clients, with respect to their consumers, with respect to their communities, that we actually have, have launched a, a, a new a new awards or new recognition program called Best in Business, and it's crowned by the company of the year. And that's uh, just coming out now. And, and, and the metric there is unlike the Inc. 5000, which recognizes growth companies, companies that make the most growth over last year, this isn't interested in the PL at all. This is about what are you doing to make an impact and a lasting impact? That's not always about money. It's not always about scale. There are other things you can be doing. And so many companies are doing this now, and it's so inspiring. And it's especially inspiring at a time when we've seen the government sort of stumble and not take care of, of folks in the way it used to. And now suddenly companies are doing that. And that's quite exciting.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely. You kind of see that camaraderie come up, where you know all companies are struggling in some way, but they're really supporting each other in the community, and I think that's such a beautiful thing.
0: Yeah, I think this is another thing that we'll see going into the future. Is that you know, much m- much like uh, at various points in my career, I understood that the traditional competition was not my competition. Right, like when you work in the attention economy, and say I I, I worked at a television show you know, another television show isn't necessarily my competition. It's what else someone is watching or doing with their phone or their iPad. That's the competition, right? So so I think suddenly we're going to see lots more partnerships where you wouldn't have seen them before, lots more collaboration where you wouldn't have seen them before. And we're going to understand it's about sort of larger opportunities, um, not just winning for today.
1: Absolutely, I think like um, now we're seeing win-win opportunities instead of, I guess, before it's a little bit more cutthroat, where some people might think it's a win-lose. You know, if I win, you lose. Where if you win, I lose. But now it's more about like the win-wins, and I feel like that's such a more productive way of doing business in general.
0: I think that's right, and and I think that even applies to how we think about winning and losing, right? So, mm-hmm. so sort of like we fear losing, we fear the pandemic, and I and and I think we have to get past the idea. Of fear and sort of embrace the idea that while this pandemic in particular might have been very scary in a lot of different ways for different people, right? I'm not trying to downplay the fact that uh, this is truly, you know, an awful thing and a threat to to, to people living. Um, but 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 more broadly, the the fact that the landscape is is ever changing now, uncertainty, you know, which business does not like. Is, is certainly to be with us forever now, right? And so we have a choice as to how we react to that fear and how we react to that uh, uncertainty. And we can uh, decide that our organizations are going to be flexible in the face of that uncertainty. And, it, and if they are, well, you know that's going to be to our benefit. If the things we feared, we can look at now with, well, uh, we could fear that and buckle down and just sort of ride this down to the end, well, the bottom of the S curve, right? Or, or we could convert that fear to to a fierceness about how to attack the problem and change it. We, you know, can convert being conservative financially to controlled risk. All of those things, doing those things will give us so much more opportunity. And that'll be so exciting to see.
1: I love that. You know, as someone who loves meditation, and I guess like stoicism, that is such a really important concept is the reaction to something, right? Like when something happens, how do you react to it, right? Because that really totally changes our perspectives, whether we see that as something that will stop us or something that we just need to respond to.
0: That's right. How are we going to frame this? And we are, and there's no question that as, as a society and as, as a species, we are faced with great challenges, right? We're going to be faced with employment challenges as AI grows and grows and the internet of things grows and grows. We're faced with climate challenges. We're faced with water scarcity challenges. We could sort of just you know throw up our hands and, and fall down to the ground, or we can think about how Uh, we will solve these problems. And, And I think doing that, how we intelligently attack those rather than just respond to them in fear will make a difference. We're in a really important moment in history. The pandemic has accelerated a lot of these ideas, but they were coming anyway, right? And how we respond, how we frame the problems we have will make all the difference in the world.
1: Absolutely. And just um, with the budgets being cut for a lot of companies, you know, where do you think that entrepreneurs should be spending their money and time? Like, what are some of the things that they should be investing in
0: versus cutting? You know, I think we really need to look at, you know, how we allocate costs across organizations and and what we thought we needed that we might not need now. Right. So did you need that big server farm? Or is a cloud service enough for you? Do you need the big real estate footprint, or can you do it in another way? Do you need the staff that you had, or can you have a less expensive staff that works flex hours? Um, and because of that, you know, is is more available to you, and actually more engaged because they don't feel like they're on a treadmill. I, I think it's up to businesses to to look at their P Ls like that, and 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 make decisions about what we've always done in the past do we really need going forward what do we have buy-in from everyone who works for us to sort of change direction on if not now there you know there is no better time to just think differently about how we approach all of our business and where can we carve out the dollars for those projects that might get us to the next place, right? That might move us from where we are now to somewhere uh, farther along so we can be more successful, so we can survive for longer, so we can do more good in the world.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Amazing points on that point. So one of my last questions before one of the questions we ask all of our guests is, what attitudes, processes, and mindsets should shift, and I guess in 2021, How are you envisioning the landscape to look like for entrepreneurs?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, I think there's a lot of hope for 2021, right? I just uh, saw a, a news clip yesterday that suggested widespread, so not just sort of um, high risk or people uh, on front lines, but widespread vaccination for the mid to end of the second quarter. Um, I think that's terrific, right? But the idea that um, everything is going to just be peachy next year um, is probably uh an unrealistic one. I think we still have to be prepared for a long slog. I think we have to be prepared for changing business in all different ways. And so that meditation mindset that you talked about, the reframing of, of the problem, uh, needs to stay with us. Business as usual would be unusual, right? We need to continue... With being flexible into the coming year. And in doing that, I think we'll see how much more opportunity uh, we have. And that's true on hiring, it's true on how we deal with our clients, it's true on how we market ourselves, it's true on where we source things from and how our supply chain is structured. All of those things have to be open to examination and understood to be temporary and what's best now. And with changing landscape into the future might change too.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. With the um, whole vaccination, hopefully things get a little bit better. And as you mentioned, yeah, I don't think it's going to be like the same before, but at least hopefully it's going to be, you know, a little easier for a lot of the people.
0: Yeah. You know, and there's, there's the flip side of this too, right? I was talking to the Inc data scientist um, we have who, who was, tracking a lot of pent-up consumer demand, right? And looking at how after the uh, influenza pandemic of of 1918, 1919, suddenly saw an explosion of consumerism, saw an explosion of social traditions being upended, who saw people being optimistic and excited to be out and about and spending and partying and having a great time it led to the roaring 20s right um now the 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 bad side of the roaring 20s is is that it led to the depression hopefully we have tools in place now financial instruments that will avoid that but but i do think you know there there is among a lot of hard work still to do been a, a still difficult journey. There's going to be a lot of excitement and a lot of smiling people and a lot, a lot, a lot of pent up consumer demand and and a lot of pent up money that's been saved by consumers to be spent, if not in the first and second quarter, ultimately on the back half of 2021 and into into the future.
1: Yeah, definitely. And even with travel too, I know a lot of people are itching to get out
0: It is uh, number one on my list of things to do (laughs) as soon as I can.
1: Same here. Well, this was really awesome um, to talk to you, Scott, about all of this. And this is my last question for you. And it's more of a personal one. We love asking all of our wonderful guests this question. If you would have a do-over in your career, what would you do differently? Oh,
0: man. I I wish I I need more than one (laughs) do-over. But I would say... Um, I would say I think uh, something that relates to everything we've talked about today is, is that I would not have stayed at organizations that didn't see their brand purpose clearly, that didn't understand the difference between the company and the business. They didn't see that there were timelines of success and you needed to move from one to the other. I would tell everyone that, like, go to the place that sees a future that's different from what this moment is right now, uh, because this moment will be different in the future. doesn't matter if a leadership team uh, thinks it will be or not, it will be. And so better to work at the place that is embracing that change than resistant to it, because the ones that are resistant to it aren't going to be around. And in the time between now and the time they're not around, aren't going to be as fun to work at. Mm
1: -hmm, Definitely. And I think in this time it's a lot of fear around, you know, changing roles or companies because, you know, you want to make sure you still have income coming in. You want to make sure you have like a purpose, right? So I feel like that's a really important question to ask yourself. Is the company that you're working for still, I guess it still has a purpose and also whether you connect to that purpose. So I feel like that's a really good tip for a lot of the people.
0: That's right. I, you know, just like companies have uh, brand purposes, I think we have our own purposes and I think you can track you know, your own career, if you've been around long enough and see all the commonalities between the jobs you've had, you want to make sure that's still aligned too. So obviously I'm not talking about doing something rash. All of this is about reducing risk, but taking advantage of change. That's, that's what we do. Reduce the risk, but take advantage of the change.
1: Love it. And that I think leads on to, um, I guess, a more personal question. I promise this is the last one. Um, Since you're here, what are some exciting developments at Inc. that the listeners should know about?
0: Yeah, I think our my, right now, you know, we've redesigned our website. We've redesigned our magazine. We've just launched this, this new program called Best in Business that I'm so excited about because it's the first time we've done it. Uh, it, it will take all different sized companies, and let them compete against each other in their silos. So advertising, food and bev, manufacturing, business products, wellness services, whatever it is, and recognize them for the impact they make, right? So are they making a Difference in in the world uh, with their clients, with their consumers, with the community. I think this is a really important thing to recognize. I'm glad Inc has the authority to do it. The list is out um, now, and and I think uh, it, it represents the best of what business can be. And I'd encourage people to like take a look at it at Inc.com and see how inspiring businesses. It's not just about making money for most of the people on our list.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And by the way, I've visited the Inc. website recently, and I really love the new facelift and how um, it's a lot more fresh and you're focusing on, you know, startups, growth, leading innovation, you know, even the navigation. I think it's leading on to a really great direction.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Yes. And thank you so much, Scott, once again, for joining us. And um, I hope you have a great rest of your week. And yeah, we will hopefully chat soon. Thanks, Danny. And for everyone who's listening here, please make sure to check out Scott's LinkedIn profile. I'll make sure to link that in the blog post below. And make sure to check out the new and improved ink.com And I'll also link some other resources for you. Until then, I will see you guys in the next episode. Bye now. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of today. If you like this podcast, please make sure to subscribe so you don't miss another great guest. We'd also appreciate it if you give us a five-star review on iTunes. For the Apple listeners out there, this podcast is sponsored by Procurify, a spend management solution that is making managing business spend simple. I know there's still a lot of you that are using spreadsheets, credit cards, and expense forms, or a mix of the above. Perhaps you're still using a procurement module in your ERP that is clunky and outdated, Procurefy helps you implement proactive controls so that purchases are tracked and approved by the right person before it hits accounts payable. Never have to worry about a surprise invoice ever again. There's a reason why over 400 customers around the world love us. Our award-winning, easy-to-use system is loved by people everywhere. It's actually a purchasing system that your employees will actually want to use. Believe it or not. Check us out at procurefy.com. so that's www. P R O C U R I F Y dot com and mention the podcast for a sweet listener special on our packages.